moment in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we love you. And we would ask as we come before your word this morning, work mightily in us ever greater faith in Christ Jesus. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a young man going to the University of Minnesota, there was an itinerant preacher there, Brother Jed. Anybody know Brother Jed? So he's traveled around quite a bit. He's still living to this day, I found out. And Brother Jed had uh, definitely an over-the-top style and some theology that I didn't necessarily agree with. But one of the things that he said, he said that the anthem of my generation was, you can't get no satisfaction, or I can't get no satisfaction. Is it, I can't, I can't, right? Yeah. Now, by the way, I've never been a big Rolling Stones fan. But, um, but that was, he, he said, that is the theme song of your generation. Can't get no satisfaction. And in my youthful arrogance, I, like many of my fellow students, just kind of wrote him off. But after a few more years, some bumps and bruises along the way, uh, I think the tunes changed for me a little bit. Because the phrase, the, the refrain says, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. But I hear that refrain now in a more sad manner. I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I, I just can't. And I think that's the refrain, actually, for a lot of people. You see, people try to keep filling this void in their lives with a lot of different things. They try to fill the void with uh, things of the world, with the work that they're doing, and they try and they try and they try and there's still no satisfaction. Because everybody has a certain desire, a certain void that needs to be filled. So this morning, we're going to take a look in the message this morning, three different things. Two ways that the desires are not filled. One is by the world. One is by your work. But how is the desire, the void really filled? By the bread of life. So let's go to our text this morning. Matt, uh, John chapter 6, starting with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. So the context for this is that the day before, Jesus had fed 5,000 men, and if you start to include the women and the children, could have easily been 10,000 or more with just five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, this was a miracle that occurred. And what did the crowd see? They saw Wonder Bread. Anybody eat that when you grew up? Wonder Bread. Don't you wonder what the Wonder Bread is? I mean, it's light and fluffy and... You, Peanut butter always went, jelly went always, anyway. Wonder bread, right? But they saw the wonder of it all. Like, wow, he fed us 
all these people and he just had those five loaves and two fishes. That was the wonder that they saw and they were thinking, whoa, well, if we make him king, we're going to have bread all the time. But Jesus knew what was in their minds and the hearts, so he withdrew from the mount. He withdrew to the mountain by himself and later that night walked across the sea to the other side. So, there's the story. There's another miracle in there about walking on the water, but we'll do that another time. So the crowd follows him because they're, they want the wonder bread, right? They follow him. But Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He rebukes them and he rebukes them with a double, double amen, amen, or truly, truly. This was the way that rabbis would highlight the importance of something. If you say, amen, truly, that was important. But now he says, amen, amen, truly, truly, this is very important, what I have to say to you. I solemnly tell you. And what he says is that they missed the whole point of the miracle. They saw the wonder of the bread but they missed the whole point of the miracle. You see, all signs and miracles always point to God's glory that we may believe. All signs and miracles always point to God's glory that we may believe. But again and again, people want miracles not for the glory of God, but simply for their own benefit. Do a sign, do a miracle, so that I will get ahead in the world, so that things will be okay with me in this lifetime. And there's a whole spectrum of how that plays out. On the egregious, the worst end, you get prosperity preachers and word of faith preachers who will use this to, I think, wicked ways. And they will call something seeds of faith, sowing seeds of faith. In essence, if you give me $10, God will give you back tenfold. Give me 10, you'll get a thousand, you'll get a thousand dollars. That is really not focusing on the glory of God at all, is it? It's not about faith at all. It is about simply getting what I want in this world, more money. And you know who gets rich off that? It's not the people. It's the prosperity preachers, the word of faith preachers. They aren't offering you God. They are offering you the world. And if you ever hear a, word of, uh, a preacher say something like that, wherever they are, and they're here in the valley too, run away from them as fast as you can. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. See, when we chase after the things of this world, we're always going to be hungry. The things of this world can never, can never meet the supreme hunger that people desire. Look, you, you don't have to look even to the world for this lesson. This lesson is in Scripture many different times. 
And there is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, and I know you think I'm going to say Leviticus, but no, it is Ecclesiastes. Solomon. Solomon writes this, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of tree, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You think that song, Can't Get No Satisfaction, is just a modern song? No. It has been played in various ways throughout history. Listen to what the Lord said. Isaiah, from our reading from Isaiah. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently and eat what is good. And delight yourself in rich food. That's what was said in Isaiah. And now what did our Lord and Savior say? He said this. Do not labor for food that perishes. For the food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God, the Father, has set his seal. So to paraphrase Jesus, he says, stop yearning for the things that will never fill the void in your life. The desires of your heart aren't going to be filled by those things. The things that you want, the food that never perishes, is eternal. has no eternal value. Rather believe and receive him who God the Father has sent, whom God the Father has put his seal upon. See, what does a seal mean? A seal means it is given by the very authority of God. It carries the full weight and measure of God the Father. This seal has been proclaimed in the Old and New Testament. It was given to Mary. It was given to Joseph before the birth of Jesus. It was given at the baptism of Jesus where God the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus declared to this, He said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. God has set His seal on Christ Jesus. Jesus, and there is no other that we need to look for, for our desire, our void that needs to be filled. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. Don't look to the world, look to Christ Jesus. Don't look to the world, don't look to your works, look to Christ Jesus. Let's talk about works. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they got a little excited, right? And I can appreciate the pragmatic nature of what they said. You know, I'm sure I'd be one in the crowd that's saying, okay, all right, tell me what I need to do, what committees I need to sign up, how I need to serve you, all the stuff I need to do so I can get some of what you're talking about. Right? Does anybody have some of that? Give me a checklist and I'll do the checklist. In essence, they were saying, what work can I do in exchange for what you have? Now, this is a trap that they fell into. This is the trap that you and I and many people also fall directly into. In fact, most people believe that they must earn their way to heaven or work their way to heaven, right? Earn your way to heaven or work your way to heaven. One Pew poll said, 72% of Americans believed in heaven. I don't know why it's not 100, but 72% believed in heaven. But they defined heaven as this, a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. So how do you get to heaven? You earn it. You work really hard. Instead of I can't get no satisfaction, the song becomes I'm climbing a stairway to heaven. Now, that's the last old song reference I'm going to make. But it is, right? You see, all of those stairs are boards that you put in. Ah, here's the good work that I have done. And you hammer that in. And here's another board, and you hammer that in. And you are trying to earn your way, work your way, climb that stairway to heaven. Look, Lord, I'm just one closer step to you. But you see... Those people in the crowd with Jesus, and like the majority of people, according to all these polls, didn't get the connection between the miracle that Jesus did of feeding the 5,000. Let me ask you, did Jesus say, I'm going to feed you, but first you have to put some money in? He didn't do that, right? He didn't say anything I'm going to have a miracle, but if you want to see the miracle, you better put in some money. No, none of that, did he? It was free of charge. It was a free gift. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 was a free gift of God. God did the work and freely gave it to others. So let me ask you, When you receive something that you don't deserve, you haven't earned it, you haven't paid for it, what do we call that? Grace, right? We call it grace. Everybody should know this by now, but we're going to keep repeating it because remember, 72% of the people don't believe what we're just going to say. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the people were thinking, okay, what effort do I have to do to earn this particular salvation? But Jesus is not teaching and preaching about the work you must do. Jesus is preaching and teaching about the work of God 
which is the grace of God, made manifest to us in Christ Jesus. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Read it carefully. It says, this is the work of God. It does not say the works of God. It is the work of God. Out of all the work, Jesus said, this is the work, singular work. And the work is this, that you believe in Christ Jesus. You believe in whom he has sent. That's the work of God. This is not a new idea, is it? This, again, has been taught, has been preached throughout Scripture. If we go to the beginning of the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world, here's what it doesn't say. For God so loved the world, he did a lot of different works, moving things around and all that. No, he didn't. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. One work, right? He gave his only son that whoever, what? believes in him may not perish but have eternal life now in our uh in our bible study on wednesday we're going through first john first john chapter 3 verse 23 says and this is his commandment not john's commandment but christ's commandment that we believe in the name of the son jesus uh, of his son jesus christ you see the whole work of god is this it is faith in Christ Jesus. And the hard part about this is, it's not even your work. It is God working in you, bringing you to faith in Christ Jesus. Because if it is my work where I come to faith, then is that work, then is that faith a gift? It's not, is it? All of this is the work of God and that we would trust in Christ Jesus. And what does trust mean? Trust is another word for faith. That we trust who he is, who he says he is. This is the work we are to do. And notice when you read it, it says believe, right? It says believe. It does not say believe sometime in the future, Believe when you're comfortable enough. It says believe, and the believe is present tense, and it means here, it means now. It should have some urgency to it. Think of the jailer who was scared to death, and he asked uh, Paul, and he said, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. He didn't say, well, you know, maybe a year from now. No, there was an immediacy, right? Believe here and now. The trouble is you and I have trouble taking Jesus at his word. Thomas had trouble taking Jesus at his word, didn't he? He wanted a sign, unless I can actually touch him, put my finger in the holes. And you and I, quite frankly, also want signs for God to prove that he's real. Now, some of these signs, by the way, are silly. God, if you're really there, give me a parking spot. Do you ever hear somebody, you know, 
It's like, really? If you're real, give me a parking spot? Now, others are definitely much more heartfelt, obviously, where when somebody is uh, very sick or dying. But those aren't prayers of faith, notice. Those are challenges. If you're real, God, then you'll do this. I want a sign before I believe. And you know, we're not that different than all the people who were around Jesus on that day. They said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. The people claim, all right, well, Jesus, you uh, multiplied those loaves and fishes, but we want something better than that. If we were going to believe in you to that degree, they want a bigger sign. And, and by the way, all of this of wanting the sign is, a, it is in essence something called quid pro quo. Have you ever heard of that? I give you something, you give me something in return. It's an equal exchange, but grace is never an equal exchange, is it? Again, we must come by faith alone. So now we get into the very core of how that void, that desire, is filled. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Before we dive into this, you've noticed that bread is the theme throughout all this, right? And it's not the wonder bread. A lot of people in Christianity have the, left, have the wonder bread approach. It's light, it's fluffy, you know, and you can mold it in any shape you want. But I would encourage you to do a word study on bread in the Bible and find out how important bread is throughout Scripture, because bread, and that the bread that they had was sustenance. If you did not have bread with your meal, it was incomplete. Bread gave you life. This is the importance of bread. And when you, as a follower of Christ Jesus, dig into his word, here's what happens. You move from the desire for wonder bread to the bread of life. That's what happens. Okay, so now the bread that, they, that the people were talking about was manna, right? And the manna came down from heaven. They're saying that Moses gave it to us. But the manna came from God, didn't it? And the manna itself would not last from day to day. The only exception was when God allowed it to stay for the Sabbath. That was the only way. If they tried to hoard more, it rotted, it turned putrid. This helped them understand that they were dependent on God for their very life. But as I said, manna wasn't meant to last. 
And so manna itself simply points to the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. If you were here for the series in Ruth, we talked about how in the book of Ruth, how Boaz was a type or pointed to Christ Jesus. Here, manna is a type that points to the fulfillment found in Christ Jesus, the true bread. So if you take a look at manna, you find that it perishes, but Jesus remains eternally. That there is physical life from manna day to day, eternal life in Christ Jesus. That manna is bread from heaven, but now Christ Jesus, the true bread, is life from God. Manna was just for the Israelites, and now Christ Jesus is life for the world. So it's not simply bread that he's talking about. It is actually bread from God, life from God, unlike anything else they had ever had, because it brings life and life eternally to the world. Now, if you started to get a glimmer of that, you would probably be like the crowd and say, whoa, I want that. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They didn't want just the bread once, but they, the way it's written, they wanted it continually on and on and on and on. See, just like the woman at the well, Jesus is very skillful about this. And he brings us along and increases our appetite, our desire, not for the world, not for our works, but for what he and he alone has to offer. So he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is one of those I am statements found in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Goes back to Exodus chapter 3. I am. And think about what this means regarding Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. It doesn't mean that sometimes, sometime in the past, I was the bread of life, or sometime in the future, I will be the bread of life. But he says, I am the bread of life eternally. I was the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I remain the bread of life throughout eternity. This is what was sung around the heavenly throne. The heavenly being saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I am the bread of life. There is no other bread. And I am eternal. And if you eat of me, you have life eternal. You will be satisfied in a way that you will never be satisfied anywhere else. Because when you partake of Christ Jesus, you are filled by his grace. Your cup overflows by his grace. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord, right? 
You partake of Christ Jesus, of the bread of life. And that will fill you like nothing else can or ever will. So this morning, as you ponder Christ Jesus and the bread of life, let me ask you, do you have a void in your life right now? How are you trying to fill that particular void? Are you trying to work your way to heaven? You know, make that stairway? Have you and are you continually partaking of the grace of Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We praise you and thank you that you are the bread of life for us. Help us to grow ever stronger in, your, in our faith in you, our trust in you. Filled every day by your grace so that we desire nothing else but you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.